All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? It's great to see you guys in the house today. Hey, we are continuing a series we started last week entitled Gen Z. How many people were in the house last week for the first message? So, again, obviously for you that were here, again, Gen Z is about Generation Z. Um, it's a, this is a tough, I'm going to be honest, this is a tough series, but I feel like this is something that God wants us to talk about, wants us to take some time to investigate, take some time to adjust as we look at our culture, as we look at what's happening around us to decide how God wants us to best interact, how God wants us to best respond to the generation that currently is the largest generation on planet Earth. So if you weren't here, again, Generation Z is the youngest generation. In fact, just real quick, here's a, here's a catch-up. Here are the five generations that are currently alive on planet Earth. Again, a generation is this group of people that were born during a specific uh, time. The matures, again, were those born before 1946. Uh, we have what's beautiful about this is we just have a great mix here in our church of these generations. The boomers were those uh, 1946 to 1964. Again, those uh, military uh, people coming home, guys coming home off the field, Loving their, uh, loving their women because they missed while they were off, and lots of babies were born, which is why, again, they were called the boomers. Then Gen X, which is my generation, came along, the latchkey generation. Um, finally, the millennials, and we have talked, a lot of people have talked and written articles and books about this millennial generation. But it's Generation Z. Again, Generation Z are those born 1999. Again, these are, these are rough dates. 1999 to present. So basically, if you're age 20 or younger, or you have grandkids age 20 or younger, or you have kids age 20 or younger, or if you're a CEO or a boss and you employ people who are 20 and younger, if you hang out with people, if you're a campus professor and you're around people and you teach people who are 20 and younger, this involves you. So how many people does that fit? If you hang out with, teach, love, right? So this is for all of us. So I don't want you to think today as we step back into week two of Gen Z that, hey, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not 20 years old or younger. This applies to all of us in this, in this room. So last week, what I did was we just went through who Gen Z was. In no way am I advocating who they are, what they believe, or how they live. My goal last week wasn't to do an exposition of what they believe and why it's wrong. The goal was for us just to take a look at who they are. Who is Gen Z? How do they think? How do they... How do they look at the world? How do they evaluate what they're going through? In the same way, the way I view the world is different than boomers and matures. Gen Z looks at the world, engages in this world in a totally different way than I did. And so if we're going to bring changes, if we're going to influence, if we're going to impact, we have to know who Gen Z is. In fact, the purpose of this series is to help them have a next-gen win. That's the goal of the series, is to have a next-gen win. What's, what's the win for Gen Z? The win for Gen Z is this right here, for them to learn to love God with their whole life. That's for all of us, isn't it? That's our call, is to love God with our soul, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. We want to help, we want to influence, and we want to be a part as a church and as individuals of seeing this next generation learn to love God with their life. Come on, does anybody here want to be a part of that? As a dad, I have Gen Z kids in my house. I want them to learn how to love God with their life. As a pastor of a growing church, I want every kid in our kids' ministry and every kid that comes through our youth ministry and those involved in young adults, I want them to learn to love God with their life. Amen. So today, what I want to do for a few minutes is I want to talk to 
uh, really the Gen Zers. Now, the, everything I'm going to say today applies to all of us, and so I don't want you again to tune out. But today I want to talk about how to live is Gen Z. And then next week for Mother's Day, I want to talk about how to love Gen Z. So today I want to talk to Gen Z specifically. Next week I want to talk to those who are, again, directly involved with parenting, teaching, or influencing Gen Z. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Again, last week as we looked at kind of the seven defining traits of Generation Z, and again, if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back, just take a listen to it. Get a good broad scope of who this generation is. Today I'll go through a couple of them, but I don't have time to recap them all. But here's a thought is, is as you step into and as we try to engage, and again, if, especially if, if you are part of Generation Z, here's, here's kind of where we're going to start, is being a Christ follower in this culture will be challenging. Now, forget Gen Z. How many people know that's true? Living in this culture, trying to love God, it's, it's hard because they want you just to shut up, be quiet, sit there, don't talk about it, don't tell me about it. You do you and I'll do me. Just you do you quiet. And so it's a challenge to really live in this culture, but especially, again, in light of what we said last week, especially for Generation Z, it's incredibly challenging. And because it's, it's challenging, here's a couple things that have happened for so many of us in this room, for so many of us in the different environments we're at, is that a lot of the Christ followers, a lot of people who say they love Jesus or people of faith, we've just gotten absorbed into culture. We lose our distinctive, we lose who we are, we lose our voice, like we don't stand out. There is no distinctive anymore when we step on the campus, when we step into the workplace, when we step into conversation, we've lost our distinctive that we're a Christ follower, that we have a very clear set of values and belief systems that drives who we are and influences who we're to be. Come on. And so it, it is a challenge, but come on, it's not an option for us to just get absorbed into culture and just like just blend in and lose who we are. That's not an option, but unfortunately it's happening. The other extreme of this is because it's challenging, some are not just getting absorbed. A lot of us are just pulling out. This is not, I'll, I'll just say this on the front end before I, just say, I, before I say this next part, I'm not saying it's wrong to homeschool. But when we take our Christian kids out of public education, so they're not in the school system, and we all hang out in Christian clubs, and on the, on the college campus we hang out in our Christian Bible studies, and all of our friends are Christians, we just keep pulling out of culture. And I just want you to know something. It is a challenge to live in this culture, but God wants us absolutely to be involved. We can't pull out, and he wants us to be influencers. We just can't be absorbed because God has called us to be a part of it. In fact, being a Christ follower in this culture will be challenging, but it is a key part of our purpose to live in culture and to influence culture. Let's not forget why we're here. Jesus said clearly that he's called us to be the light of the world. He's called us to be the salt of the earth. And so this is the challenge that all of us face, no matter who you are, no matter your age, living in your, in your subdivision, going to your workplace, showing up on your campus, whatever it is, it's going to be challenging, but it's part of our purpose to live in and to engage culture. So for a few minutes, I want to look at a story. It's found in uh, Numbers chapter 13. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, we're going to throw the, throw the verses up on the jumbotron. And it's a story, if you're not familiar with it, it's a story of when, again, God took the nation of Israel that had been slaves for 400 years in, the, in, in Egypt God sent Moses to deliver them, to rescue them, to take them out of Egypt. And God said, I'm not just taking you from there. I'm taking you to a place. 
God had a promised land. God had something better for them. So this, what we're about to read, is kind of in the middle. They're not in Egypt, but they're not in the promised land yet. They're on their way. Okay, so check this story out. It says, the Lord now said to Moses, send out men. Come on, I want you all to read this. Here's what God wants Moses to do with these people. Send out men to do what? You all got to get this. Send out men to do what? One more time. Explore explore what? Just the land. The land that I'm giving to the Israelites. This idea that he's giving them means you got to engage it, but there's a guaranteed outcome. You got to fight for it, but I'm telling you what the promise and what the outcome is going to be. Anytime God gives you a dream, a hope, a purpose, sometimes you might have to fight for it, but God says, I already know how it's going to end up, but you got to engage. But I want you to notice this again. He said, I want you to send men to go explore the land, the land that I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So, I love it. Moses does it. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. That's where they were at in this wilderness area. Now, watch this. So, Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through Negev, which is this area, into the hill country to see what the land is like. So remember what God said. God said, hey, go send some people just to check out the land that I'm going to give you. So they, he, he rallies 12 men and says, hey, I want you to go check out the land. But he doesn't stop there. This is so important. You've got to see this. And see what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. Let me ask you a question. Did God say go check out the people? What did he say? Go check out what? This is so important. You have to see this. He adds on to what God told Moses to do. Moses adds on to it. He says, see what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops that you see. Here's the crazy part is, God told Moses, I want you to go check out the land. He tells the people, I want you to go check out the land, and I want you to go check out what kind of challenges are there. This is so important in life. This is a big principle I want us to get. It's this, God called them to focus on the opportunity, not the opposition. Anytime God calls us to do something, I just want you to know something. Anytime God calls us to do something in life in general, it's important that you do some risk management. It's important you look and you evaluate pros and cons. It's important in life that you do a risk assessment. Should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I buy this house? Should I not buy this house? Is that the person I should date? Is that not the person I should date? But when it comes to what God has called us to do, risk management goes out the door. Obedience does not make room for evaluation. And so the challenge is, and here's why, because when you decide to live for God, anytime, anytime the, the potential gets overshadowed by the problem, we'll quit. The potential of being a tither is amazing, but the problem is I don't know if I can afford to tithe, so we get disenfranchised and we give up and we don't obey God. And as we're going to live in this world, if we're going to really follow God, if we're going to influence the the community and the culture we live in, especially if you're Generation Z, you can't look at it, and we can't look at this problem and say it's too big. There might be a battle, but there will always be be benefits. We might get into conflict, but I'm telling you, God has promised compensation, which means if you'll obey God, God will get you to the place. It'll be a blessing to you. I wish somebody would help me today. 
Here's why I'm starting with this. is because, again, when we look at some of the challenges of this culture and how much it's evolved and it's changed, it can be scary to believe we could ever influence them. It can be so big, like, man, we can't, we can't do anything with that. I mean, this generation is, is so far removed from Christianity, and we're going to talk about this, or they're so far removed from the values that, that I grew up with or you grew up with. I mean, man, it's just too big. And I want you to know something. You've got to get your eyes off of the, the opposition and onto the opportunity. You've got to see what God wants you to see and not what this world wants you to see. Are you all with me? So keep rolling in the story. Again, Numbers 13, 25, he says this. These 12 spies that were sent out, they came back. They went and they did what Moses told them to do, not what God told them to do. They checked out the land and they checked out the opposition. And watch this. It says, after exploring the land, how long? The number 40 in Scripture is always, uh, always means a test. Number 40 always means a test. This is a test from the emergency broadcast system. I'm telling you, in life, it's a test. As you step on campus, it's a test. As you step into conversations, it's a test. As you show up in the workplace tomorrow, it's a test. The test is, and we're going to see this, the test is, are you going to be who God's called you to be, or are you going to be who this world wants you to be? It's a test. And so they go in, they spy out the land, they're there for 40 days, and the men returned. And this was a report. So they go, they check it out, they got binoculars, they got charts, they're taking notes, they come back, right? They, iCloud couldn't sink, so they couldn't share the notes, so they had to give a verbal report. This was a report to Moses. We entered the land that you sent us to explore, and it's indeed a bountiful, beautiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. If you don't know it, man, they brought back this, like, I'm talking about grapes as big as your head. They make some big raisins. This is where the report should end it if they did what God said. But they didn't just look at the potential. They looked at the problem, so now they start reporting on the problem. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified, and we even saw giants there the descendants of Anak. Here's the crazy part is, they knew who was in the land, but they forgot who was in them. And if we're going to live as Generation Z, if you're going to live as Generation Z, in my culture, if I'm going to live and be who God's called me to be, I'm going to give you three things. First thing is don't let culture cancel your identity. You say, what's my identity? Our identity as Christ followers, and it's a, it's a strange topic that we could spend far more time on talking about, but our identity is who we are in Christ. It's who we are in Christ. And what that means is, is that when you come as a person and you recognize that you're a sinner and you believe that Christ is your Savior and you put your trust and hope in Him, kind of throughout the New Testament, it gives us this idea that now you're in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. That you're in Christ, which means how God views you and how we view ourselves should, should change drastically. Because I'm in Christ, my identity's in Christ, and if you're a Christ follower here, your identity's in Christ. What that means is, is when God sees you, he doesn't see you. Let me, let me see. If you're perfect, that's okay. 
But if, if you messed up, if you fall short, if you still struggle, if you still got some sins and some habits and some behaviors that you know don't honor God, I'm glad that God doesn't see me. I'm glad he doesn't see my imperfection. When he sees me, he sees the perfection of his son. That's why God loves me. That's why I can pray and God hears me. That's why I can worship and God loves me. Because he doesn't see me, the sinner. He sees his son. I'm hidden in Christ. You are hidden in Christ. And so when you forget who you are, listen to me, you miss. Anybody here remember growing up? I, I know this... This don't happen anymore because of the way some cultures are. My generation, we grew up like this. Like, you might get into a fight with a kid down the, down the road. Come on. Some, some people got beat up. It changed. Now you get beat down. Beat up, beat down. People got a beating back in the day. And if you got beat up, somehow you wanted to get your dad involved. Come on. Anybody remember, like, my dad can beat up your dad? Woo. Don't forget, I'm, listen to me, if you are going to engage in this culture, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, but I say it seriously, you got to remember who your daddy is. My dad can beat up your dad, which means because I'm in Christ, he is my heavenly father. And if he's my heavenly father, then I'm a child of God, which means there might be giants in the land. There might be obstacles that seem too big. I, can, I don't know if I can talk to them. I don't know if God can use me to influence them. I, I, just, I should just be quiet. I should just stand in a corner. You, we can be fearful at times trying to live in this culture. We can, feel, uh, we can feel diminished living in this culture. We can feel ill-equipped living in this culture if you allow culture to cancel your identity but when we know who we are that I'm a child of God he's my father then it determines who we are and how we live which means if I have this conversation it might feel too big for me until I remember who I am that God sent me God called me God's with me God's going to use me because it's not who I am it's who he is my identity is in Christ so you have to decide you have to decide if you're defined by culture or your creator because this generation specifically wants you to blend in, become a part of the large picture. And we just have to fight that. Not becoming and engaging in culture. I already said we can't pull away. We have to engage. We have to be involved. But in your culture, in your generation, whether you're Generation Z, Millennials, Boomers, whatever, we have to engage. But we have to do it with this confidence of knowing who we are and what we're called to do in the world we live. And that's not to be silent. In fact, one of the things we talked about last week was that one of the real challenges and one of the big identifiers of Generation Z is that safe spaces are normal. Again, when I hear safe space, I have a totally different reaction than, honestly, I'm like, for real, they need safe spaces? And you can laugh at it and you can, you can frown on it, but... It is part of their culture, and here's why. is because, again, inside of their culture, coming from generations of people being disenfranchised and through bigotry and racism and lots of things that have happened in our nation, this generation on one level is trying to get it together. They're trying to see that really we're all equal. Regardless of how you feel, how you view yourself, your sexuality, your race, your religion, like this generation, Generation Z, is trying to see that we're, we're all still human beings. And so that, that really is a good thing. But the challenge is, and the word that we hear a lot in culture, is this idea of tolerance. Tolerance. That this generation, unlike previous generations, Generation Z, unlike especially Generation X and, and boomers and really matures, that we are, we are considered intolerant. Let me talk about tolerance for a minute. This idea of tolerance. 
Here's the old definition. When I hear tolerance, this is what I think of, that tolerance is this. Tolerance is respect for others even when you disagree with their values, beliefs, or practices, which means I don't agree with that lifestyle. I don't agree with that opinion, and I, I feel like I can voice it. I feel like we can talk about it. I feel like I can disagree with you. Culture, especially in the context of Generation Z, they have totally lost the way probably many of us view tolerance. Most of us probably view tolerance as this definition. Generation Z, this is their definition of tolerance. Everyone's values, beliefs, and practices are equally valid. The challenge is this. So Generation Z, and so you need to know this. If you're raising them, if you're teaching them, if you are some way engaged in influencing this culture, you need to know that they're incredibly adverse to speaking against or speaking out against someone else's lifestyles, habits, belief systems, because they don't want to be part of that generation that has come behind them that have hurt people. So they are incredibly uh, adverse to hurting people. So the challenge is, here's the crazy part, the challenge is for a lot of us is then just don't say anything, which again, we just talked about it. That's not what God's called us to do. We're called to be influencers. But if we say something, then the challenge is, man, then we're intolerant. Now, I just want to say this, and you can quote me, and I hope you put me on social media. Intolerance is a beautiful thing. Let me qualify it. Everybody's intolerant, and there is room for intolerance. God is intolerant of sin. Thank you. I'm glad for it. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. Christ was intolerant of hypocrisy. He was intolerant of sickness. He was intolerant of of, of poverty. Come on, somebody. Humanity, we ought to be intolerant of rape. We ought to be intolerant of, of, of child abuse. We ought to be intolerant of racism. As Christ followers, we ought to be intolerant of people who live without knowing God's love. We ought to not tolerate people who don't know God's grace and don't know the prayer. Like, we ought to be intolerant of that. So there is room for intolerance. So this culture that says intolerance is wrong, tolerate everything, nobody tolerates everything, and there ought to be some things that we're intolerant of. And so I just want you to hear this on the front end, is that don't let tolerance drive you to silence. This world wants you to be quiet and not say anything. The challenge is you can't be an influencer and be silent. Don't let culture, don't let culture compromise your responsibility. Our responsibility in this world is to say something. This did a whole message on this. I'm not, again, I said it, it's not, it's not, doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it won't be a battle. Doesn't mean sometimes it won't be scary. But as a Christ follower in your culture and in my culture, we can't forget that we have a responsibility to be an influencer and you can't be an influencer if you're silent. So I, I, it's a, it is a very real tension that we live in, that if we say something we, we face being marked as intolerant. But if we don't say something, we'll be marked by God as being ineffective. And there's a tension and, and a challenge there that we have to work through. We just have to have an awareness of. And I believe God will give us wisdom and grace in how to do that, but we have to work through it to do it. So check this out, going back to the story. It says, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. So they come back with the report Hey, that's a beautiful place God wants to give us, but like there's giants there. We're not going. There's walls we can't climb. There's battles we can't win. There's giants we can't defeat. We're Audi 5000. That's the report. 
But Caleb, one of the 12, he tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. Everybody shout these two words. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes and lives there. All the people uh, we saw were huge. All the people we saw were huge. So I want you to notice this, that 3,500 years ago, there was room for intolerance. You got an opinion we can, I got an opinion we can't. And they were okay saying it. We got to be okay saying something. Because here's, here's, here's where we're at as, as a culture. Is we feel like, and I'll, I'll be honest, as a pastor, and I'm way past Gen Z, in light of the culture we live in, especially the younger you are, there is this tension that we feel like we can either please God or we can please people. Like either we can please God, like, it, like we go around and tell everybody how wrong they are, or we can please people and go around and just live and let live and you do your thing and I'll do my thing. Come on. Like we feel like we can either live in truth or we can live in grace. The problem is if you live in truth all the time, nobody's going to like you and you won't have any friends. But if we live in grace all the time and live and let live, you can't influence people, which is part of your purpose on planet Earth. So again, what do we do? Well, Jesus, he found an incredible, uh, incredible balance that because Jesus is the one we're following <laughs> and the one that we're trying to become, we ought to follow his example. Notice, the word, who is Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Say it with me, full of grace and truth. He wasn't just full of grace. Oh, Jesus was so gracious. Yeah, he was, but he had all kinds of truth. Well, Jesus, he, he didn't put up with nothing. When man, people were sinners, he called them out. Yeah, he did. He was full of truth. But he was full of truth, but he said it with grace. He walked in grace, but he always called it as it was. And this, I'm, just tell, I'm not telling you this is easy, but for us to find this balance that you can't, you can't allow tolerance to silence you, you've got to say something. Paul said it this way, that we speak the truth in love. You will be silenced. Not by not using words, but people will stop hearing you if when you speak, you say it with you're greater than or you're better than. If you speak down at people, if you're judgmental, you will lose the audience you're trying to gain. Communication is done best in the context of relationship. So here's what I want you to hear with grace and truth. Truth without grace is painful. Anybody here ever had someone come up and say something to you that hurt your feelings? My grandfather, I don't know what it was, man, I loved, I mean, I loved him. Uh, I probably, it's, I don't know if anybody else had favorite grandparents. Like, my four were ranked. I had, like, number one, number two, number I loved them all, but they were ranked, I'm going to be honest. I loved my grandfather the most because he always gave money. I know that's wrong, but I was a little kid, and he took advantage of me, and I loved him more. What can I say? But as we got older, he would do this thing. Uh, come on, everybody had the freshman 15. Go off to school, gain a little bit of weight. Don't hate me. Come on. I, I gained it, never lost it, and gained more. And he would see you, he'd say, I mean, you wouldn't see him for like a year. Stephen, it's good to see you. Man, you're getting fat. Good to, 
Good to see you too, Grandpa. I'm going to go just cry in the corner, thanks. I mean, he didn't mean anything by it. It's just how he would, and he would not just say to me, he said to everybody. It was true. I had gotten fat. It was 100% true. It's not like I could say, wait a minute, last time I was here, you know, I weighed 245, now I weigh 244. It was true. But truth without grace is painful. You're wrong. That lifestyle's wrong. That doesn't please God. You need to change that. You need to not be that. There is truth in this world. There is white and black. There is right and wrong. There is sin and righteousness. But truth without grace is painful. Grace without truth is pointless. There's no place for grace if it's not been preceded by truth. So we got to find a balance because grace and truth, for all of us in this room who has experienced it, is powerful. Everybody shout powerful. I was a sinner, but God sent me a Savior. I was screwed up, but Jesus saved me. The truth was I was lost, but the grace was Jesus came to find me. Come on, somebody. Is anybody here thankful that Jesus came full of grace and truth? I'd say it this way. How many people here like snacks? Anybody, any snack generation people? So one of, truly, one of my favorite snacks are peanuts. Anybody here like just some good old-fashioned peanuts? I, there's times I'll go to Logan's just because the rolls and peanuts are free. I just get a glass of water and leave. You ain't got a tip or nothing. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. I'm messing around. But man, for real, I love peanuts. My neighbor, he sometimes travels little carnivals and makes his own. He always brings me a bag of fresh roasted peanuts. I, I like some peanuts. But how many of you are this way as well, that you eat something salty and then you got to follow it up with something sweet? So peanuts are kind of like truth. I mean, you need them. They're good. But if you just eat peanuts, it leaves like a salty residue in your mouth. you got to wash it down. So some of us, man, we go the other way, and we just like the sweet. Woo, yeah. You, I mean, you, there are some things I'm sure will be in heaven, and chocolate's one of them. And the only thing better than chocolate is double chocolate. And the only thing better than double chocolate is chocolate stuffed with chocolate with some chocolate icing. Come on. Woo! But anybody in this room, you ever eat something sweet? And you got to have something salty to wash it down. So sweet is good. Sweet is wonderful. And a lot of us in this world, man, we're walking around in truth and we're telling truth. And it's salty to this world. And they can only take so much of it. And some of us, man, we're just grace. Man, God loves you. You're wonderful. Everything's going to be okay. Life's all right. You just keep living it. And I want you to know that God called us not just to be truth. And not just to be grace. God has called us to be like a peanut M&M. Woo! Now, see, I know some of you, I know some of you are blasphemous, and you take out the peanut M&M, and you chew off the chocolate and then eat the peanut. Stop eating it that way. That's not the way it's intended. If you want to eat it like that, go get you a jar of peanuts and get you a bag of regular M&M. The way these were intended to be eaten is you stick it in your mouth and you get salty and sweet. You get the peanut and the chocolate. God wants us to be like the peanut M&M. We need to walk in grace and truth. We need to walk in grace and truth. We need to be an influencer in what we say, but we need to say it in love. And if we'll do it that way, God will use us to influence this next generation. Here's what I want you to hear, though. While we don't have to show tolerance... We do have to show dignity. Because the person you're talking to that you may not agree with or you may not think God's word backs up their values, their belief systems, their habits, their lifestyles, they're still a person just as you are. 
They're made in the image of God just as much as you are. They're loved by God just as much as you are. Did you know that God loves the lost as much as he loves his children? Because they're all made in his image. So you, can, you don't have to show tolerance, but you do have to show dignity. So as we move through this real quick, and we'll get ready to wrap this up. Number three, if you're taking notes, is don't let culture change your accountability. So again, Moses says, hey, go, go spy out the land. Go check out who's there. Go check out the people. They come back with this report. Like, man, it's, it is beautiful, man. This land that God wants us to have, it's beautiful. But, man, there's, there's giants there. There's no way we can possess the land. The problems are too big. The potential is wonderful. The problem is going to keep us out. Caleb, who is the epitome of, of Generation Z, he refuses just to blend in, and he speaks up. He says, hey, we can do this. Come on, let's, let, he rallies the troop, man. He, he pulls out a bugle. Brrr. Come on, let's go. And 10 of the 12 spies are like, we're out. We can't do it. And the 10, the 10 is greater than the 2 in the entire nation of Israel believes the report of the 10. You don't have to be the majority to be right. As culture shifts this culture shifts again we talked about last week that Generation Z they're not just marked by being post-Christian they're not just marked by being tolerant but they're marked by diversity so again as they look around as they look around I, didn't, I don't know if I said this last week but there's, there's always there's been some debate as um you know, uh, homosexuality, lesbianism is, you know, kind of trends more in our culture. There's always been this debate uh, in conversation in the background. And so generally it's, it's around two to five percent. Now, some people think a little more, a little less. But Gen Z, as they've been as they've been interviewed, lots of research done. Barna has issued a three, I think, 130 some page report on just this information. Thirteen percent of Gen Zers say that there's something other than, they identify as something other than heterosexual, 13%. So they're diverse in their sexuality, they're diverse in their, again, their culture. Where we grew up in a primarily black school or white school, they look around, in, especially in larger cities, and it's just this equal, they see people from all different backgrounds. And so for them, diversity is huge. But the challenge is, as you get kind of pulled into adversity, you forget who we're there to please, who we're there to make happy. And so the nation of Israel, he felt the same thing because they went and hung out with a group for 40 days and forgot who they were. How about the rest of us who hang out in school, in college for four years, on high school campus for four years? We hang out, man, it's easy to lose who we are when we're with people for extended amounts of time. And so they come back, and there's this debate. Can we go? Should we not go? What, what, what? And in the middle of it, again, the nation of Israel choose not to go into the land, and then God responds. He says this. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites they're making against me. You will all drop dead in the wilderness. You know what he's saying? Like, this might sound harsh. Let's just be clear. He's saying, you're going to miss what I had for you because you refused to be who I called you to be. 
because you complain against me. Every one of you who's 20 years old or older was included in this registration. Most translations say generation will die. So if you've not caught it yet, they lost a generation. We cannot afford to lose another generation. We can't afford to lose another generation. Somebody has to believe who they are. Somebody has to speak up. And somebody has to remember ultimately who we're accountable to. I'm not accountable to the, to the <laughs> come on. I'm not accountable to this world. I'm not accountable really ultimately to this president. I'm not accountable to the people who are politically correct. At the end of the day, if we're a Christ follower and we belong to him, we are accountable to him. Anybody else remembers, I, I was grateful and thankful, man, to be raised in a home. I had both my parents. And, uh, you know, as you get older, you start trying to fill out your oats and, you know, like how big you are. And you start losing the fear of your parents. And mom came first. Like mom and, you know, mom would lay hands on me. And I don't mean in a spiritual way. I mean, well, I've seen God a couple times, but. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I remember one time mom had me backed in the corner going to town. And it didn't hurt. I mean, I, I, mean, I ducked and covered. And when she got done, she said, just wait till your dad gets home. Uh-oh. Because I wasn't scared of mom at that point. I was still scared of dad. You know what mom was saying is, you're accountable to somebody, and you may not realize it in the moment, but you're going to stand before him at about 4.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> and in this culture, we want to we forget who we are, and we, we feel driven to silence and afraid to speak up, and we just get lost in the culture, and we become a part of the culture. We cannot forget, at the end of it all, we're accountable to God. And I don't mean that like we should be afraid of him, but we should honor him. There should be a reverence for the God we say we love and we say we serve. So again, the story goes on. You'll not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua, two of the 12. What I want you to see is they did the right thing and they still missed it. I don't say that to discourage you, which means things may not always work out the way you think they should but God will always make it right for you. You do the right thing and let God work it out. I'll close with this verse because here's what Paul is. He wrestled with his culture the same way I'm wrestling with my culture. And Generation Z is wrestling with their culture. The Apostle Paul said it this way, and I'll close. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be. Christ's servants. Sometimes you can't be both. You can't make people happy sometimes and make everybody love you. It's our goal, but you can love them both. You can't always please them both. So wherever you're at, whatever generation you're a part of, be a Caleb, be a Joshua. Refuse to lose your generation. And for Generation Z especially, Grab a hold of some of this and let God send you into your schools and onto your campuses, into your workplaces to be an influence. So, Father, we love you. We thank you today, God, for grace, for mercy. God, I pray, Lord, put this in our hearts, God, to live with an intentionality and an influence in the world we live. God, you can use us. Help us be. Help us be who you've called us to be. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for one minute, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, 
you've never said yes to his love. I want you to know that God loves you. He does love you. And he sent his son, man, to rescue us from our struggles, from our sins, from our failures, from our weaknesses. He's everything. He's everything you'll ever need. The Bible says if we'll say out of our mouth, Jesus, save me. If we'll believe in our heart that he loves us and he died for us, the Bible says through that, through that faith, God will change you and he'll make you his child. And so as I close with this prayer, if you're here and you say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. Today I want to give my life to Christ. Today I want to say yes to his love. If you're here, you're watching online, all you have to do is whisper this prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe you love me and you died for me. I'm sorry for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Save me. Make me your child. And I receive it right now by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees said amen. Amen. God bless you guys, man. Have a great day. We'll see you next week for Mother's Day. Make sure you're in the house. Moms, be here. People, bring your moms. God bless you guys.